Hello, guys, gals, and non-binary pals. Welcome to episode 21 of Couch Co-op. Today, we have the mixed bag episode. Jack, Dave, and myself, we're just going to kind of run along some of our thoughts and feelings on certain video game aspects. It wouldn't warrant a whole entire dedicated episode, but have been certainly in the back of our minds for a while now. Why don't we go ahead and start with you, Jack? What are some gaming topics that you'd like to discuss today for a mixed bag episode? Well, just as a uh, kind of uh, easy one to start off with, I, I saw a couple of uh, fun articles in Polygon recently that I wanted to talk about. And a game that is both uh, near and dear to me and Matt's heart, uh, Sick Hero, Shadows Die Twice. Um, two different authors published uh, articles in Polygon. And, and the first one I read was about a, a guy's journey as he spent 300 out 300 plus hours trying to beat Sekiro and basically um this whole article is just designed for me to read and feel great about how wonderful I am at gaming I just read it and thought about how I have the platinum yes all you other gamers so shitty and then the next article was about a guy who has the world record for speed running Sekiro blindfolded (laughs) 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 brought right back to reality right there (laughs) right back to reality indeed (laughs) so this guy literally practiced and is so good at video games that he put a blindfold on and and beat a beat a from software game in like i think it was like 60 hours which is less time than it took me to beat it (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know I thought that was really weird uh one a really weird challenge to do with oneself and two just how difficult that game is just seemed insane and and almost unbelievable but I mean Polygon's reputable so I don't think they just put out nonsense you know Dave and I were talking offline about this uh just before because I was I was crediting him with achieving the Beat Saber Platinum and how huge of an accomplishment that is but uh jack where do you rank your Sekiro uh platinum is that your top in top five even yeah you- definitely top five um probably uh geez probably probably my third after like celeste um and uh i'd have to think about it but yeah definitely definitely top five yeah, no, that's that's comforting to hear because I definitely felt super accomplished just beating that game, let alone achieving anything worthy in terms of a trophy hunt. So, I did it blindfolded. I have to check that article out. That's ridiculous. Like you just must have every level memorized, every boss memorized. Yeah, and unbelievable. It's just really weird. But <laughs> I, I know that's a thing because I definitely like. There are certain YouTube channels I watch a lot of. They're dedicated to the moment when speedrunners fail, like mid-run. And I watch a lot of those. So I've definitely seen a few where you see the person drop the controller and then rip off the blindfold. And they're like, ah, fuck. So um, I think that's when you've just achieved like, you know, level alpha. And now you have to go for Sigma or whatnot. Well, I mean, he definitely died quite a bit doing this speed run. It's, it wasn't like a deathless speed run, but still, just the fact that he was able to beat that game. I mean, he must just have all the noises memorized and just know, like, what buttons to push right as they happen. And, you know, just 
memorized everything, counted it all down and went for it. Absolutely. Um, so I finally finished Wonderful 101, probably about four or five days ago. And I, I just loved it. Um, I knew I was coming up on the last mission. Um, I didn't think it would take as long as it did, but but I mean, the last boss fight is three stages in and of itself. So, I mean, I should have guessed something like that would happen because I mean, that game's almost all in threes, right? Nine levels, then you got like three sub levels in, within one level. So I, I remember beating him the first time around. I was like, okay, that was pretty cool. Um, there was like a small button mashing scene before that. And I was like, that was pretty cool. Like, you know, I could, I could see where it was pretty cool. And then you get to the last button smashing scene where I was just like flabbergasted at it. Not only at Wonder Red's one-liner, which had me dying. I knew I had to clip it, so I saved it. You know, where he does like super wonderful little bing, big bing, starfall, nightfall. Like, <laughs> oh, I hated that. <laughs> and, then, and then I love how Wonder Blue is like trying to get him to like save fire. And then he goes, red and then red just goes get off me <laughs> fire and then you get into this like epic button smashing scene and you're just like going as hard as you can and i mean there's probably about five six button smashing moments within the game but they don't last that long they're i don't want to say they're minuscule but you know it's you, you get up to a certain count and then it's over but this one it was just like you're still going my arm and elbow is starting to hurt and it cuts over to a cutscene where Wonder Red is like also smashing on the button. And then it goes to another cutscene where the whole team is doing the same thing. But uh, <laughs> the, you watch it and like Wonder Yellow is kind of slow. <laughs> he looks unsure about what he's doing. And Wonder Green is kind of going slow. And all the other ones have their own like little way of going about it, which I thought was super cool. And then. I really love the kicker where you find out the Geth Jerk are just victims of the Wonderful 101 from the future. So the Wonderful 101 eventually evolve into this like galaxy spanning, like kind of conquering force. And Geth Jerk is just trying to go back in time to stop them to save their planet. And I was like, wow, that's, I don't want to say the deepest thing I ever saw in a video game, but I thought for that game specifically about how you got this group of people who are putting everything on the line. Uh, it's all about self-sacrifice and teamwork. And then at the end of it, you find out that the, eventually they become the bad guys in some level. So um, overall, that game was excellent. You know, probably one of my favorite games I've ever played in reality. Yeah, I would agree completely. I, I beat it myself as well um, pretty recently and loved every minute of it. I was honestly, my biggest concern going into that last mission was the fact that they hadn't really established the main boss, despite it being a game where so much emphasis is kind of put on the boss characters. Um, you didn't even really know who it was until that last mission. And yet it's drawn out and done in such a way that you really do find yourself invested in that final battle, despite not even really knowing who the enemy was up until that point. Um, you know, I, I thought it was hilarious. Jack had alluded to it when we reviewed it in our previous podcast, but 
um, that button mashing segment you talking about, Dave, where it literally says like save the planet versus all the previous <laughs> button mashing moments are just like things like move the ball or, you know, it's like this one. It's like, <laughs> nope, just this is what's on the line, by the way. Um, you know, all I have to say, Jack, you are such an enemy of fun. This game was so brilliant. So damn fun. I, I just cannot comprehend how you can't consider this one of the funnest experiences playing games this year already. Uh, well, I thought uh, <laughs> it put me on blast. Damn! <laughs> well, I, I thought this game was was a was really fun. Um, if if every mission had been like Mission Nine, Operation Nine, this would have been my favorite game of the year. Um, just too many, too many slow moments, but, but I mean, there's a reason I just strongly encouraged you guys to just complete this and don't, don't mess around with like trying to get trophies and just finish the game. It's because I really wanted to talk to you about how amazing that, that level nine experience is. Um, I think the character models for Gethjerk and um, the, uh, oh geez, um, the the robot made out of a city that's on your side platinum robo platinum robo I, <laughs> the the <laughs> platinum robo. which is a name that only red was accepting all the other guys were like we should call her something else <laughs> anyways the uh the character models for both those were incredible the there's like two kind of times when you think you've beaten the final boss in that last operation and both times it's like, no, he's just getting bigger and stronger. And normally like in games, I get kind of frustrated by that. I'm like, oh, I, I feel like I was done, you know, but it just built to something even more and more extravagant and, and just exciting. Um, you know, I compared it to like an Avengers movie, just the, the epic scale and the, uh, and you know, the, the heroic music. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I really like this game. Uh, I just, I just think that they, uh, can, you know, blow their little, <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, no, real quick. I was just going to say one thing I do have to say after having beaten it, cause I know we, there, one of my criticisms earlier was, um, the fact that there's some characters that aren't fully developed as much as others, but despite the, obvious disparity with one of those characters being wonder black who as jack had mentioned all you know is they break dances and plays video games so there there is that realm but aside from that what i'll say is i actually do kind of appreciate the fact that they really just made it about red and blue and that the other members of the wonderful 100 or 100 um aren't as important like they'll allude to like some backstory i know that they mentioned wonder pink had something with her brother and that's why she has the connection to uh, Luca the child in the game but they didn't feel a need to like force in some big backstory or big sequence where it's like hey let's hear about every single member it's like no really the only two that matter here are your two favorites it's you have the classic alpha you know uh, wonder red and then you have you know kind of his rival wonder blue let's just focus all our attention for plot on them and everything else can just play out as is. So I really appreciate that in hindsight now. I also like the, I don't want to say heel turn, but the reverse heel turn with uh, Prince Forkin, where he, 
you kind of get his backstory and then um, understand the connection between Borkin and Immorta, where that's a brother-sister connection. And he used to be a good guy and then turned into this conqueror. And then eventually goes back to being a good guy after you defeat that annoying virus level, which I'm pretty sure that Jack alluded to, where that one was a little frustrating. But you do get the rest of the pirate gang on your side. So that completes fills up the rest of the 100 member mission. But yeah, I I thought that was pretty interesting. And then Borkin ends up being on your side, which well, I was hoping he'd be like someone that was playable and would add to the team, but that's never the case. I mean, if you want to talk about criticism of the game, which is, you know, you, you put me on blast. So that Operation 7, where you go into the guys, basically they shrink you down and you go into um, Borkin's body. And this game is bursting with creativity. It's every, every operation has new, new enemies to defeat and new character models. And so it really, I thought it was just a really missed opportunity to shrink down and go into a body. And they didn't have any new character models for this one. There was no, there's nothing about being inside of, of a person and the cool things you could have done with that. There was no fighting on any like major organs that I remember. And I don't know, maybe I've just been spoiled by like Rick and Morty, uh, you know, where they, where they go into the homeless guy and create a theme park inside of them. But, but for me, I thought that was like a real, um, a real missed opportunity for such a creative game. Um, I, I enjoyed the boss fight for that. I think that was really the only new model was that virus. Um, but the fact that you get ejected out of the body and you fight on the keyboard. So if you touch on the keyboard, you get larger. And then eventually it comes to a point where you like just end up stepping on them, which I thought was pretty cool. The stomping was awesome when you when you stop. That was that was the saving grace of that operation. Where, where all you see is a boot, like just a, the lower part of the boot, and the monster looks up and it's just like, oh no, I'm done. Um, there's a, I took a screenshot because at the end of the game, it it lays out this huge image of all the characters in the game, and it's all based on scale. So you see the wonderful group, you see the pirates, but you see all the larger bad guys up on the side and then in the small corner there's a magnifying glass that just highlights that one virus monster at the end and i thought that was pretty cool <clears throat> i saved that screenshot and made it my wallpaper for my game it's just like i was like yeah this game's so awesome all right so i get to see that all the time and i take a little chuckle when you look in the left corner there's a magnifying glass and it's that little virus monster being like Argh! trying to look intimidating so um, but the, the after game becomes really cool because then you get a full gallery, you get the soundtrack, you get um, all these other things that open up to you. So I'm on, I'm on my way to planning the game, which um, I want to do it on normal, but it's, <laughs> it's getting really difficult to get platinum rankings um, <clears throat> for each of the operations. So I'm thinking about kicking it down one level and getting all the platinum. But you still got to beat the game on hard, which unlocks um, the next like highest, which I think is hard 101 or 101 hardness, which um, you have to play to get the, the platinum trophy for it. So I think I'll do as much as I can 
um, and easy, not super easy, but an easy, and then finish up the rest and call it good. Because like you'd I said, get, you'd want to do it the opposite where you unlock the difficult levels and make sure you can beat it on, on wonderful one-on-one difficulty before you go to a bunch of cheesy ass grindy boring crap i don't yeah. know that's how i would look at it i got I'd a lot of sure I could, i'd want to make sure i could do the difficult stuff before i just want to say there's a lot of consolation prizes that i got which was like really disheartening i was like oh this is gonna be a handful i think it was intended that way though i i really think that you it's designed for you to have to like revisit levels with more powers and whatnot unlocked and and because they're throwing so many different mechanics at you that um i mean that was the reason the game was so frustrating to me but it was also the reason why i realized that there would be so much replayability to somebody who really wanted to commit to it yeah i believe that um actually i i know for certain because since we played through that demo which is so substantial uh when i actually played the through the full game uh, just going through that first mission again with all the power-ups and everything like it was pretty easy to get the platinums and stuff like that so um, and also actually like it was funny after we did the recording talking about it, and I complained about all the um, making all the various shapes for all the different uh, forms it actually I found that like I hit a point where it became much much easier um, I think honestly partially from Borkin uh, the small period of time where you can utilize his ability because it, it forces you to pause midway through. And I think that implementing that kind of made th using things like the hammer actually a bit easier for me. Cause I, I really found on those last few levels, that I was able to bust out maneuvers pretty much on the fly. Like I wanted to. So um, I wish you the best on that one, Dave, if you get the platinum on that, I will tip my cap. Cause that is a, uh, going to be quite the grind but it'll be damn worth it if you complete it just in terms of nerd uh credit so do you know um on wonderful 101 difficulty is there any limit to the amount of continues i haven't even looked yet like i said yeah. i just started working on it on normal and then i've probably played 1b about seven times and i can get a gold on it <laughs> And there was one time where I thought I had a platinum pretty set. I felt like I cut through it like butter and it gave me a gold. I must have missed the time mark by like mere seconds or something. So like I said, I'll do that aspect of getting platinum on easy just to save myself some time and heartache. But yeah, uh, I don't know what the continue situation like is for the harder levels because there's quite a few times where I got to five. And I'm thinking... That probably won't be the case now that I've already played through the levels. So, you know, getting those continues, you know, or be some I can avoid a little bit easier. But yeah, uh, fighting Prince working on that last Forkin fight, the third fight, he's pretty tough. Oh, so like, he was. It was the first Forkin fight that kicked my ass because I mm -hmm. didn't know his. I didn't know his move sets. I was just like flabbergasted. Yeah, uh, for me, I there's a guy that it's about an hour long video where he says playing wonderful one on one to enjoy it and he breaks down the mechanics. And part of that is understanding the counters and the multi unite and how to utilize those in a better space like 
he uses multi-anite in the sense that he keeps the time bomb as like his secondary power on a multi-anite, which makes it way easier to where you just hit triangle and then you can activate that. And then you don't have to reform your fist or your sword. And he explains how the fist is like way more powerful than all the other ones. And I usually mainly use the sword um, throughout most of my original playthrough. So I've been utilizing the fist a lot more on the final boss fights. I think the hardest trophy is going to be collect like coming in with all the weapons collected. So killing like the mid-level bosses in order to get that weapon, you have to use the right character to acquire the drop, but you also have to carry it into the final uh, mission with you. So that's, that's going to be a challenge. I'm going to have to do some research on that, figure out what exactly that entails. Yeah, well, Jack, going back to why you're the enemy of fun, part of the reason I'm putting you on blast so much here is because the game I followed up Wonderful 101 with was a game that you have recommended to me, what, 12 years ago or something like that. And I put it in, I downloaded it, and my God, did this game make me want to tear my hair out at certain points. <laughs> and that is Braid. And I will preface this by saying that I am incredibly glad I played it because there's a lot of good things in this and also under the, you know, preface also that it's an older game. It really is a 12 year old game. So there are some complaints I have with it that are partially due to that. And I will say that the plot, uh, the end is a huge payoff, but damn, there were some moments that I literally played that entire game, just muttering to myself, fuck Jack, just fuck Jack. <laughs> Every time I'd have to fail something, rewind, fuck Jack. So, yeah, I'll just, I know you love this game. You hold it near and dear to your heart. But, yeah, I, I beat it. I beat it. So, there. Yeah, yeah but you used a guide. <laughs> I don't know how you could beat this game without using a guide. Like, I, I, it shocks me that you spent all this time mastering these levels by just trial and error. Like, I, that's the part that just blew me away. As compared to this game we just played that's so fluid forward moving and just compels you to pl play through and have fun and then versus this it just feels like the equivalent of just getting beaten over the head it's over and over and over again i'm way more patient with puzzles than i am with combat i guess yeah i mean that has to be it because that's i mean from a a gameplay mechanic standpoint, like that's where my frustration lies a lot of it is that there were so many portions of it where I felt like if the control were tighter or if like I actually felt like it was more fluid, I, I could execute some of the things because there were puzzles that I would see the solution, but I would actually have to double check the guide because I was so uncertain that the mechanics would allow me to execute the maneuver I thought was necessary to complete it. Um, that is not to say like there are definitely other ones that there's no way in hell I was going to figure out. I can assure you of that. That was one thing that I was actually surprised upon revisiting because when um, I found out you were playing this, I downloaded off PlayStation Now and I went through the majority of the game. I did skip a number of puzzles, um, but... Basically, I just wanted to really be able to experience each level and kind of get a feel for the different puzzle mechanics of, of each level. But one thing that I was happy to kind of um, to kind of confirm of my 
of my memory is that this game truly is brilliant. The puzzles, the art, the style. It's a beautiful game and it's incredibly intelligent. And um, despite what Matt might be telling the audience, intuitive. That being said, Matt, you do have an excellent point. Um, some of the mechanics are just a little loose. It's not blatant, but one thing I did not remember is how many of the puzzles were difficult to solve based on how difficult the actual maneuvers they were asking you to, to pull off were. For instance, like double jumps off moving targets with just a little bit loose controls while you're, while you're, the game's about time and while time is being manipulated so that your timing's a little bit off. And so there was many puzzles, like you said, where I knew what the solution was, I'd figured it out, but it still took me a few minutes to, to just grind away and, and uh, hit, hit it perfectly. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I, I'm playing up my hatred for it because I definitely thought the plot was amazing. Like I said, that payoff at the end is totally worth the grind of going through some of those more frustrating moments. Well, let me ask you this. Um, the, um, the payoff at the end, you say, this is going to, I mean, this is basically going to be a shining example of the different way me and you play video games, Matt. I love this game. I constantly recommend it. I don't remember what the ending is. I don't remember what the plot of this game is. I just like the puzzles. So what, what was the ending? <laughs> I, I think you find out that he's a villain. Is that correct? Yeah, the entire thing is is like a homage to Super Mario Brothers. Like they even have at the end of the stages, there's the castle and a little di dinosaur appears that tells you, oh, your princess is in a different castle. And, you know, there's like the little Goomba creatures and everything. So there's a lot of comparisons to it. And then at the very end, uh, what ends up happening is you find out that the princess was actually a woman that won nothing to do with him. He was just a creepy stalker. And the, the quote unquote villain is actually like this hero that's trying to protect her from you as you're like chasing her through the stage. So that's why when it plays in reverse, because the whole gameplay mechanic that makes it so it is really the basis for the game is that you can reverse time. So you play that whole last stage where it appears like you're, you're chasing after the rescuer, but then when it plays out in reverse, you realize that the whole time she's been fleeing from you and trying to set off all these traps to, to catch you. And uh, yeah, you, you just realize the entire time he's just a psychopath who's, who's been trying to track her down. So uh, yeah, like you, you hit the nail on the head, Jack. I mean, I play games typically for, plot lines I, I think the video games are a great uh, medium for uh experiencing different stories and um this one even though the gameplay elements to it are not really in my wheelhouse and typically are you know a bit more frustrating just because i i tend to lean more towards action-oriented ones um it definitely certainly like was eye-opening at the end and for that i appreciate it. it's like watching a it's like watching an indie movie that at times is just like painful to tolerate, like the lower budget. But then when you get to the end, you're like, damn, that was totally worth it. I think it's funny. Um, I think one of the reasons this game will not have aged as well for many of the people who uh, will play it now is that this and Portal, I think it's hard to look at almost any puzzle game over the last 10 years and not see a huge influence by 
by either by either one of those games. I mean, they both came out within a couple of years of each other. I'm not sure the exact timeline, but there's so many stolen ideas. I mean, just blatantly stolen ideas in so many of the um, in so many of the 2D puzzle platformer games that that I play from this. And um, it's kind of like when you listen to like Nevermind or watch Pulp Fiction, where it was just so creative and, and innovative at the time. I mean, yeah, both those things were both borrowing so many ideas, just like Braid does. But it's been borrowed so much since that it's tough to appreciate it if you're a first time gamer playing it um, with everything that's come since. Uh, it's that's a very good point and it honestly what inspired me to play it was i was going through my catalog of ps now games and uh one of the ones that's been on my list of considerations is uh that game super hot that um i believe the whole point of it is like anytime you move or whatever the, the whole game moves and so you have to kind of map out your strategy for how you're going to execute each level and um it, it was there's some intrigue to it to me but uh that being said i was like well fuck I, I at least owe it to jack to play through this game he did recommend years ago and i'm coming off this high of a game that dave recommended to me this year so i figure like i do him you know myself a credit by actually listening to my buddy's recommendation and like i said during the course of the game i was not too happy about it but all i was thinking was jack hates fun jack just likes beating himself over the head and punishing himself with puzzles well, it's funny. It's funny you bring up Super Hot because the mechanic of Super Hot, you you just played that mechanic in Braid. No, exactly. That's what I was saying. I was like, I gotta play the original, otherwise I'm really just never going to ever touch this game because I'm gonna play one that came out very recently versus you know one that has reached that level of it may be just too old to really ever be appreciated again by by new young gamers. Um, I need to get you, it's, it's a bit of a setup, but you should play super hot in VR. It really changes the whole experience around, um, our buddy Malcolm has VR, uh, has a VR headset and has super hot and I got a chance to play it and it's fantastic in a VR world and I'm not doing anything with my VR uh, set right now. So we should meet up sometime soon. I'll kick it down to you. Yeah, it's actually a different. It's a different game in the VR. the The level formatting is different. Um, so, but yeah, I've I've played both, and I would definitely, if if you are interested at all in VR, I would definitely uh, play it in VR over the uh, over the original. Although I haven't I haven't beaten it in either one. Um, may I ask, Matt? Did you have a favorite, or at least most uh, intrigued by um, mechanic time mechanic that was introduced in Braid? Um, yeah, actually, um, Braid's funny to me, like, you see this a few, in a lot of games where um, sometimes they introduce something later that just it starts to click more, or it just is more intuitive. I really like the one where it would make the shadow, and it would follow through with whatever previous motion you had done before you rewound it. Like, I actually felt like those stages, I, I did a majority of that without any help from the guide just because it was, it just clicked. It was like, this makes sense to me. Like I can actually understand, appreciate what the puzzle's going for here. The parts that I actually had more difficulty 
we're in the early stages where even though I knew it's like the point is the, to utilize this rewind function. Um, again, it was just the, the controls were just too like loose to be able to execute some of these jumps that it was asking me to, to the point where actually I second guessed if they were even possible, just because it, it just seemed so difficult to actually get things to line up proper. But um, yeah, I really liked that. I thought that was a cool, that was, that was when I was starting to really appreciate the game for certain. That's my favorite mechanic as well. And uh, for long time listeners of this pod, which I'm sure there are hundreds, thousands even of, uh, we, we, uh, we talked about our favorite, we puzzled games a long time back. And uh, one of the puzzles I brought up was using the shadow mechanic where you have to um, let the Goomba jump on your shadow which causes the Goomba to jump up and then you jump up because the, to get up even higher as, as like a, as a, a way to jump even higher. Um, so it was kind of funny uh, revisiting that after we talked about that recently replaying, that was really cool. Um, but yeah, they, um, I, I agree that not only is the shadow mechanic, the most interesting um, where you, where you create a, a shadow of yourself in the root wine time and can use it as a, as a secondary character. Um, I also thought it was the most well-constructed puzzles, the ones that are the most intuitive. Yes, they can be very difficult, but you don't, there was never a time in those, in that level when I was, would have ever been like, that was a frustrating puzzle because it wasn't built properly. Um, a little bit earlier today, I was messing around where you kind of have like the, uh, the time vacuum where you place a key that vacuums time around a small area and you have to manipulate that. I thought that was another really interesting puzzle. Um, and then um, I really liked that they, that Jonathan Blow created like items that were glowing and those were unaffected by time and how you would have to manipulate the world around you, which was affected, but utilizing uh, the unaffected items to solve puzzles. I thought that was uh, really fascinating. Um, yeah, all in all, um, there's a reason I have so much respect for this game. It's not one of my four favorite puzzle games though. And, and, um, part of that is, well, one, it's length. It's, it's, it's not a very long game. Um, but, um, there are definitely frustrating aspects to it, which I recognize, even if I think they're, uh, far outweighed by the brilliance of the game. No, I, I appreciate the recommendation. I'm, I'm happy I played it. I, I equate it to, it's like, if you're a fan of movies, like I know I made the comparison to the indie one earlier, cause that's the obvious one, but it, it honestly, it felt more from just my personal interest in video games. Like this is why I need to check off in order to actually feel like I can appreciate all different kinds of mechanics and, and kind of where we're at today in gaming. Um, and like I said, I'm glad I knocked it out now because it is a game that as years go by has aged uh, not that great and um in a few more years it'll be at that level where it's like unless it gets remade or something i i don't necessarily know if if young again a younger generation of gamers will ever truly be able to appreciate it again so jack uh what else what since this is a mixed bag you free to dig into any other topics in gaming that have been eaten away at you well, uh, you know, I actually haven't been doing much, much, uh, 
gaming lately so i don't i don't have much else on my plate which is too bad because i really uh was was stoked to kind of come up with all these ideas a couple of weeks ago and then uh well it's, it's been a weird couple of weeks so <laughs> fair enough i'm sure we'll do it again because uh or knows the mixed bag is such an easy one to throw in the books if we can't think of a topic this week but and, you know, it fits in with the whole enemy of fun narrative that I'm painting for you here. That You can't even have fun when you're having a podcast with you two buds. So. Uh, friend, of, friend of intelligent and innovative gameplay. <laughs> AKA enemy of fun. <laughs> All right, Dave, anything else in gaming you'd like to share with us tonight? I'm going to, along with planning 101, I feel like I need to attach... Um, a different game on the site so I don't burn out on it so I downloaded Outer Wilds so I'm going to crack into that game I don't know too much about it other than that it's critically acclaimed game so um, and it looks pretty interesting so I think I'm going to start that up tonight after the cast check it out nice I actually just got a platinum for a game another one that Jack recommended so that's a reason I'm giving him so much shit because this was a game I fell in love with um, but we will get to that on a different episode. Um, real quick, since this is a mixed bag, I may use this opportunity honestly to talk about a game I wanted to bring up during our games we're most looking forward to podcast, but didn't bring it up because there's actually not a release date yet. And that is the AEW wrestling video game by Ukes Entertainment. Now, I'm going to rewind here because I know for certain Jack knows nothing about AEW wrestling. And J Dave, I imagine, probably has better things to do with his time than watch men in leotards throw each other off of turnbuckles and whatnot. So what's happened, Jack, in the past three years is there is a new faction of wrestling called AEW, All Elite Wrestling. Now, the thing about AEW that differentiates it from other wrestling units that have come out in the past is this is backed by a man named Tony Khan. If that last name sounds familiar, it's because he is the son of the Khan who owns the Jacksonville Jaguars and also a Premier League soccer team. So they essentially have unlimited funds to create a wrestling league. So what they've done is they went out and they found all the super nerdy wrestling leagues throughout the world, recruited all the members, and so now they have literally the best collection of talent you've ever seen in professional wrestling. On top of that, because the WWE is a publicly traded company and we just went through a horrific two-year period where there were no live shows, they are really struggling right now to shed as much dead money as possible. So all these great talents have been cast aside. So you have the other faction that has unlimited money are just signing up all of these Hall of Fame talents left and right and adding them to their show. Why is this all relevant? Well, the biggest stars of AEW wrestling are Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, who are super big fans of video games and roughly our age as well. So, of course, they want to make a wrestling video game. So they went out and they got Ukes Entertainment, who made some of the greatest professional wrestling games of all time back on the Nintendo 64, the old WCW versus Nitro and the uh, no Mercy WWE version. So they have one of the best engines for professional wrestling ever. They have a collection of the best current talent going, but then you add in all these Hall of Fame contracts that they're also adding to it, like guys like Sting, 
like the heart matt hardy half of the hardy brothers christian who's half of the edge and christian faction so on and so forth big show big names that all of a sudden when you put them in the video game realm you have you can put them in their prime versus your superstars so now you're going to have a game that literally is a hall of fame talent of everything professional wrestling made by people who love professional wrestling with a budget that's unlimited to make sure that they get the engine completely perfect with arguably the greatest video game engine ever created for professional wrestling implement so yeah I, i'm a little excited about this one to say the least man i might be down to I might be down to jam with you on this game if uh, you want to get on some co-op action i know i know the the time windows for our video game playing are different, but I'd be willing to make some sacrifices here and there if you want to join up on something. Well, the other thing about it is, like I said, there's no release date. And they are being certain that because they actually care about the game itself, this isn't a product like Vince McMahon, who owns WWE, where he just signs off and says, make a video game. Like These are actual guys who are into it and want to play the game itself. So they're going to say, if this is crap, they're going to send it back. And so because of that, it might take a while. The other aspect, too, to consider is that we are in this new amazing digital world where people stream and stuff. Like one of the bigger stars, this guy Nero on AEW, actually like has a huge following for playing video games online. Um, his Twitch channel is this giant thing. It was a point of contention when he was a WWE. They wanted to control his ability to do it because they wanted it to be branded. So... Um, now you have this experience where they can actually set forth all these guys and have them playing it online and encourage that. So I, I actually think it might be a big thing once it gets released for online play for that reason as well. Interesting. Well, I'm glad that, that you finally got a game that is one of your all-time favorite sports throughout life that's uh, coming to fruition at some point. So hopefully it isn't a disappointment. And having played some of the old Royal Rumble games on the Super Nintendo, um, I'd be down to check that out because that that was some really fun moments, you know, for me when we'd have like a group of guys and we would huddle up and my friends, he lived in a trailer park, his parents were the managers, so we were able to rent out the community center, which had a TV, so we'd have like five or six dudes over buy a shit ton of soda, candy, all that kind of stuff, hook up whatever video game system we had, whether it was PlayStation or Super Nintendo, and just nerd out all night, stay up super late, jacked up on soda. So yeah, I'd, I'd totally be down to check that out with you at some point. Yeah, that game does sound really cool. Although the enemy of fun must state that professional wrestling is not a sport. <laughs> <laughs> Jack's turned heel on us, Nat. Yeah, totally. <laughs> no, it's fair. Like I said, it, it's it's not a game that everyone will dive into. I, I definitely think it will be interesting, though, because I think that we're in a realm where true sports games, like the 2Ks and the Maddens of the world, we've all gotten so fed up with the fact that it's really just a palette swap every year, and there's not as much emphasis on the gameplay. So it'll be really interesting to see if they really – truly put forth the game that they're claiming they're working on so we'll see what happens and if jack does end up picking up this game and there's a character creator we already know what his name is enemy of fun (laughs) 
All right, mm-hmm. gentlemen. Well, I think that about covers it for the mixed bag episode. Anybody have any last minute additions they want to throw in there? On to the next. All right, on to the next one. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for listening. Ciao.